The fifth element was inside you all along. This is spoilers. Ew. Ew. This is spoilers. I'm into it. <laughs> Welcome to Spoilers. Uh, this week we watched the 1997 cyberpunk sci-fi classic, The Fifth Element. Um, let's just go around the room real quick. This is a long movie, so we'll try to get through uh, a lot of these scenes pretty quickly. So uh, we'll jump into it pretty quick. So we'll go east to east and uh, Corey, uh, have you ever seen a movie uh, or do you have a movie from your childhood that you haven't watched in a really long time and you're really unsure whether it holds up or not and kind of scared to show your friends? <laughs> uh, man, I could probably think of a really good answer if I got like a couple minutes to think about that. So I'm just going to go with <laughs> one off the top of my head. When I got Disney Plus, I really wanted to rewatch something that I hadn't been seen in a long time and I haven't been able to find anywhere, which is Tom and Huck. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember Jonathan Taylor Thomas. He's in that movie. Oh, yeah. 90s, whatever. Uh, I watched it and it was horrible. So, you know, <laughs> nostalgia doesn't always <laughs> doesn't always work. That's the only one I could think of right now. If another one comes to mind, I'll, That's a I'll, good one. I'll shout it out. Have you ever seen this movie before? Oh, this movie? I love this movie. I've seen this movie many times. And this one, for me, definitely holds up. Spoilers. Uh, Pap, you're next. Hey, this is Pappy. We're going from Louisville, Colorado. Uh, there was a movie that I saw when I was really pretty little. I guess it must have been six years old. Um, and I, I remembered it recently, like literally within the past few months, I remembered it. And I, I searched, I searched Rear Window for Kids. And I found it, and it's called Clubhouse Detectives. <laughs> and it's it's literally that. It's just a bunch of little kids, and they like witness a murder uh, oh, next door, or what they think is a murder, right? And then they gotta like go through it. And right now, I have the mo- the most popular review for the letterboxed uh, entry of Clubhouse Detective. So you should go there and upvote Pappy Malcolm. But I never want to watch that movie ever again in my life. It, it looks pretty bad. Have you ever seen this before? No, this is my first time. So I and I really liked it too. It's ex- I'm excited to talk about it. It's pretty uh, complex for a Mikey movie. A lot of ins, a lot of outs. <laughs> A lot of scenes. Uh, have you heard of it though? Have you? I mean, is it totally off your radar before or what? Yeah, I had heard of it before, and I'd actually seen Valerian before I saw this. And watching this, I was like, "This reminds me a lot of Valerian." And it turns out, obviously, it's Luke Besson, the same director. Valerian Steel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I still haven't watched that. All right, it's not good. It looks yeah, amazing, um, Mikey. It looks amazing. It does look. Yeah, it does look kind of interesting. Stevie, why don't you go next? Okay. So when I was younger, I had a real interest in animals, especially lions. And I remember I thought it was the coolest thing. My dad let me watch a rated R movie. It was Val Kilmer's uh, The Ghosts in the Darkness about these two lions that like are killing these uh-huh. African villagers. Yeah. African villagers. I think they're trying to like build a train, if I remember correctly. And I remember like seeing like the real life lions at the Chicago uh, Field Museum. But I am so afraid to watch that movie again because I have such fond memories of it. And I have no idea if that movie's good or not. I don't even know it's rated on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes. I just know that it exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a lot of scary movies like that. It was like, I don't remember if that movie was good or really bad. Like I just remember Michael Douglas throwing buckets of blood on this like house. Like behind like an electric guitar, thinking it was the coolest thing ever. I have no idea if it's good. 
Uh, Steve, you heard of this movie before? Have you seen it? Yeah. So the way my parents used to keep up with movies was every Sunday they'd drop us off at my grandma's to spend the night. And she'd take me and my sister to school the next day. And they'd go see a movie. And I remember my dad, who was very staunch, Brett would love him, uh, coming home. <laughs> I remember seeing him on a Monday. And I was like, Dad, how was the movie? And he goes, that was the dumbest movie I've ever seen. And we left it at that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that seems like a lot of dad review movies yeah um josh you're next yeah i'll go a little bit different route because i wasn't quite that young but when i was in college i think i was a freshman and at the union in at iu indiana university where most of us went um i like went to this like showing or like semi premiere of garden state and I just remember thinking after it, like, man, this is so beautiful. I'm a guy that really gets it. And, like, I haven't seen the full thing since then. I still oh, like no. the soundtrack. I'm just really nervous to, like, dive into that. And we talked about that in the thread, too. That's like a Brett top three movie, he said. Brett said so. that was his favorite movie ever made. Uh. I will never choose that movie. Oh, <laughs> yeah. so we gotta pick it. <laughs> Punishment movie for Corey. <laughs> uh, but you've probably seen this though, right? You've at least heard of it. Yeah, Fifth Element. I saw it like bef- I think it was like on Showtime or something. Like it used to be in movie theaters, and then you could see it like on HBO or something for like a limited time, or like pay for it at a hotel or something. And then it would come out on video. And I saw it in that like intermediary period. And I was pretty young. And uh, the... I don't know. Let's just say I remember Mila Djokovic a lot from this movie. <laughs> and I don't remember no Ian Holm at all from this movie. <laughs> Josh just stored footage in the archives. <laughs> Josh, don't sexualize Lilu. This is not the time or place. Although enough of that <laughs> goes sexualize. on in the movie that... I don't need to. <laughs> yeah. Mila Jovovich. Jovovich. Sorry, I think I said that wrong. Uh, yeah, and then I'm Mikey. I'm the host this week. And uh, a movie, I I mean, you guys have seen this movie, so I don't know why I chose a movie that you guys wouldn't have seen. But I was thinking of Ace Ventura, <laughs> how that humor probably doesn't uh, hold up anymore, and it's probably really bad. And I know that there's like... Well, Stevie, what is it like a transvestite or a crossdresser or some situation in that movie? And it's just Finkel and really distasteful Einhorn now. And yeah, it's a trans person. Yeah. Did J.K. Rowling's write that movie? <laughs> that was something I, I never even picked up when I was younger. Neither and did I, I guess Mikey. Had only, yeah, had only come to light like within the last five years for me because I hadn't watched that movie in so long. But I was like, yeah, oh, that's yeah. I guess looking back now, that's not that great. Jim no, Carrey bends so. over and he talks out of his butt. <laughs> <laughs> I will suggest just watching the YouTube clip of him coming out of the Rhino and Ace Ventura 2 when Nature Calls. It's still one of the funniest things I've ever seen <laughs> committed to film. Uh, so, yeah, we're doing uh, The Fifth Element, and uh, I'm watching it in a tiny window on my computer screen as we're doing this because it's just so long and there's so much happening throughout <laughs> scene to scene, but... Corey, you sound like you have a lot of previous knowledge of this movie and you like it a lot. Why don't you take us through the intro and kind of describe the supreme alien beings that we see? Okay. 
Well, the movie starts off all the way back in 1914. We're in Egypt, and we have like an archeo... What's the fucking word? Uh, Archaeological. Archaeological. (laughs) Yeah. There's an archaeologist, and he's like looking at some hieroglyphs, and he's there with what, Luke Perry, I think? Is that yep. Luke Perry? Luke Perry. R.I.P. Mm-hmm. Top of the cast cast line and then uh, was only in about 10 seconds of this movie. You're right. He was like number three when those intro credits were rolling, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was very Very missed there. on Riverdale. Very but miss. the archaeologist has discovered something in these hieroglyphs that there's some sort of big event that's supposed to be occurring sometime in the near future involving um, some destructive being coming towards Earth, destroying all life. But there's a way to save the planet. And uh, I don't know. I'll let someone else take the next part. But some uh, friendly aliens show up first. And I think Pappy <laughs> had something to say about them. I So what, what is the species called? It's... Uh, Mondashiwans. Mondashans? Mondashiwans? They waddle. They walk very strangely. They look like something out of like a Chuck E. Cheese kind of like <laughs> animated robotic show. Turtle monsters. <laughs> like I, I really like the production design in a lot of cases of this movie, but I wasn't a fan of of them. Um, they kind of remind me of something out of like Dark Crystal, maybe even like Jim Henson esque. You know, kind of look uh, like yes. the brutes from Destiny. They're, I mean, they have duck faces, but it's. <laughs> Like but a giant robotic shells. duck, yeah, with right. turtle shells. A Mario it's very goofy opponent. looking, and they're all metal. I, so. Actually, I want to say a little bit more. One thing I do like about them, and it's kind of like, a, I guess, a theme in this movie, sort of, is that they they look like maybe they're not intended for this kind of environment. Like, they don't really explain their backstory, but the imagination kind of runs wild. Like, they could be, like, smaller little robots inside of a giant, like, shell they could be i don't know they could live in another dimension i don't know i i like that kind of stuff in sci-fi where they give you a little bit but you don't need the full story yeah i mean there's a lot going on in this production (laughs) too i mean the the production design is all over the place i mean it goes cyberpunk i mean these duck looking creatures look not exactly cyberpunk they look more alien but uh, I mean, the design is also like sort of comic booky too, and a lot of the characters that designs and stuff. So it's interesting, and I think they do a good job, like getting that cyberpunk vibe. I feel like, but um, yeah. After that intro, I mean, we learn in that intro that like every five thousand years, uh, they don't go into any much detail in describing what this evil is at all. Even when we see it, it's just a giant planet that kind of swallows everything that's thrown at it and just increases in size. And then eventually, uh, it starts moving later on in the movie, but it's very time bandits esque as supreme <gasps> being and evil. Those are like two characters from time bandits. Yeah. And, uh, Pap, what do you think about this? this evil entity it's like a giant planet i mean do you think it looks cool or what uh it's all right i don't know it's a little uh <laughs> simplistic i mean it's never i guess yeah it's yeah it's never fleshed out in any sort of meaningful way it's just kind of like looming in the background um of the story um after that though uh we get a scene of uh this uh Oh, wait, we're watching that evil planet attack uh, an army fleet and like the president is kind of 
on this uh, same radio call as a general or something after he dies. And they're kind of now wondering how much time does Earth have because this thing is destroying everything in his path. Stevie, uh, can you like describe the president and who he like turns to? I'm specifically pointing towards Ian Holm uh, for advice. You mean President Debo from Friday? President Debo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Growth rate is at 27%. Your theory is interesting, Father, but we don't have time to go into that right now. Time is of no importance, Mr. President. Only life is important. You're right. That's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to protect the life of some 200 billion of my fellow citizens. So, like, this is an odd casting choice. I mean, it's just weird. Uh, but, like, <laughs> there's some really funny goings-ons in the be- in this, like, beginning scene. Because, like, the president's, like, talking to this general. I just love this line so much. And they're pretty much going back and forth. Like, Ian Holm tells the president, you know, I have doubts about attacking this evil. You know, don't do it. Evil begets evil. All that nonsense. And... I love the part where the president talks to his general. He's like, General, I have doubts. And the general just goes, fuck your doubts. And goes on with like (laughs) trying to like (laughs) shoot this thing out of the sky. It is so strange. But pretty much we're laying the groundwork in the beginning that Ian Holm is playing the priest after. And like in the intro before that, another priest was like, I'll pass on my knowledge. And we never see that dude again because it's hundreds of years later. But like Corey said, the imagination runs wild, right? He like apparently set up a cult successful enough to last 300 years for Bilbo to <laughs> gather all the info. Not just last 300 years, but now have a seat next to the president of the yeah. world in charge of 200 like, billion right lives. Next to him. And not the president of the United States, the president of the world. <laughs> Wait, he's the world's president? Yes. I didn't even catch that. Election hacking is yeah. how President <laughs> This Debo movie is work, like, moves really quickly, and there's a ton of information, Mikey. So if I say something wrong, just call me out. I was getting some like vague President Camacho vibes, you know, from Idiocracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and nothing against him. I think it's just this movie, but there's a lot of stuff. I had to watch with captions on because there's just a lot of dialogue that's like kind of uh, – you can't hear it at all. Like everything Chris Tucker was saying through his microphone, I was like, I, for 20 years since I've watched this movie, I had no idea what Chris Tucker was saying. <laughs> so oh, I, I finally nice. watched it with captions on. Chris Mikey, Tucker. do you not watch yeah. movies with captions on regularly? Well, it's the only way to watch movies at home. I, I've only seen this movie on a crappy VHS my uncles have owned, <laughs> and I haven't seen it in like 10 years. And so I rented it on iTunes. Like, I have to watch this with the captions on because I remember not understanding half of what is being said. And there's even a scene later on where it's just like Lilu and Bruce Willis, Corbin Dallas, and you can tell that it's not mixed right. It's definitely the soundstage of Corbin, like, they didn't mix this right at all. It's like not his mic'd up audio. It's the soundstage audio. So I think there's definitely a lot of bad stuff audio wise going on in this movie, but um, yeah, I mean, Josh, you want to describe Corbin Dallas? We just mentioned him there. Uh, Lilu kind of is reconstructed in that pod and he, she gets ogled and you want to, I wanted to skip you for this part, but I guess go ahead and sexualize Lilu. <laughs> Wait, so who do I have? I have Lilu then? Yeah, describe like the scene where she's being rebuilt. Okay, well, I would love maybe someone who knows a little more about this movie to explain to me 
exactly how the glove relates to what the fifth element is because they take some cells out of a glove and use that to create the perfect human. Yeah, so at the beginning, do you remember that like sarcophagus thing that they wheeled out of the temple? Mm-hmm. I think it's like the arm to that. I thought for the longest time it was like that duck, that giant duck's arm. That's what I thought. I like, Me too. Lilu was inside of that the whole I thought time. Mil- but I no, thought Lilu was just inside the duck armor with a deep voice. <laughs> that's what I thought for a long time too. But I, I'm pretty sure it's the sarcophagus. And yeah, after that thing crashes, that's all they find left of it. And then they rebuild her from that. But she's okay. So memorably from my childhood, she was naked at first, and then they put what they call like uh, thermal bandages. Thermal bandages as an excuse to give her like the skimpiest sort of like bikini ever. It's very famous from this movie that costuming and yeah, a lot of, of her outfits. Came did this movie start yeah, cosplay? A lot of her outfits are very <laughs> famous. This is like. A- a pretty iconic movie fashion wise. There's a lot of stuff that's like Chris Tucker's outfits are pretty, pretty famous. His hair. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this movie, it, it holds up. It's got some stuff going for it. Where is his hair going when he's going down on that girl as the plane's taking off? It doesn't even make any <laughs> sense. <laughs> is the hair part of the sex act? I was so confused. <laughs> Why do you think it's a two? <laughs> that. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> That's more questions than answers, Corey. Mister Rod, you can call me Ruby. Josh, she gets rebuilt, and then she uh, jumps off of a building. And who does she find? Yeah, she doesn't like it in there because she's built, and they just have her in this glass. And the general comes up, and he's like being a dick to her. So she punches through it, escapes. She's the ultimate warrior too. She's just like perfect. She. Kind of has like a uh, slow mo like vision. The WWF guy. She's Ultimate a, warrior. Yeah, brother. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, she just like jumps up a building to land on any car. And this is part of where you really see the world open up too, because modern New York or whatever this is is uh, stories and stories of cars traveling like hovering cars and different levels mm-hmm. it's very like star warsy attack of the clones is what i'm thinking of when they're like chasing down that morpheus thing Curse but you get you get the feeling that all of the extremely poor people live actually on the ground on earth you don't want to be down there yeah it's like super cyberpunk high-tech low life all the low lives live down on the ground and Mila in her thermal bandages just slams into the backseat of Bruce Willis's car. Yeah, Pap, what do you think about this uh, car chase scene? What do you th- what do you think about the special effects in this movie? I like the special effects. I thought they held up really well. I was like blown away, especially for the time this was made. Probably in '96, came out in '97, so I, I thought it looked great. Uh, I thought the McDonald's stuff was kind of weird. It's weird. This movie has like a couple times like a lot of the references for the people. 300 years from now are still very 20th century based you know what i mean like they they show like clips of war Mm -hmm. from the 20th century and they eat at mcdonald's and that kind of stuff but i I thought it was a cool way for the characters to to meet each other yeah uh i mean i can attest to like the the product placement stuff a big part of the genre is like 
corporations are like the most powerful en- entities in like a cyberpunk universe like they control everything they control information and all that kind of stuff and uh a corporation like mcdonald's would definitely be like just plastered advertised all over the place so and they only hire supermodels <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know i just think the genre is fascinating and i really think like this was I, I saw this before I saw Blade Runner. So this is like my first intro to the genre. And it's like, wow, this uh is almost more fun to watch than Blade Runner. Blade Runner is a little too serious and the plot is not nearly mm-hmm. as good as you would hope it would be, but this is just like dumb fun and it's still kind of like nailing everything aesthetically. Well, I also want to bring up something about those low lifes too. Like I think a good litmus test for this movie is when Bruce Willis looks through his camera thing. And sees his hallway is empty, and there's a guy trying to rob him who has a photograph of his hallway on top of his head that matches his like camera imprint. Like, if you're on board with that, you're probably gonna like this movie. If you think that's really stupid, uh, this might not be the movie for you because it's a very silly movie. <laughs> that was funny, but I would replace that actor. I hated the way he was acting in the hallway. Why? That well, was, was funny. Obviously tweaking He's out tweaking, or something. Man. Yeah, like. A- <laughs> Sound like future drugs, like that make him like wig out. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, you're right. I buy it. I'm back in. Ah! <laughs> give me the cash. Been here long? Yeah, long enough. Come on, give me the cash. Give me the cash, man. Give me the cash, man. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, that's a, like also another thing. Crime is like through the roof in this universe. So everybody's getting st- stuck up all the time. Um, but. After that, uh, Lilu makes a comment to like find Vito Cornelius, this priest, uh, who's played by Ian Holm. And, uh, literally the next scene, uh, Bruce Willis, Corbin Dallas shows up at his home because I guess you could just find anybody, uh, computers. I mean, they probably have Google in this <laughs> universe. So he shows up at his front doorstep and he shows her the girl and Stevie, what is Ian Holm's reaction and, uh, what, what does he want to have? What does he uh, expect Lilu to be the savior of? Or what is her purpose? I mean, she's perfect. Like, they said this line a million times is she's perfect. She's perfect. Yeah, it's creepy. It's weird. Like, <laughs> I feel like even Vito Corleone was sexualizing Lilu at this part. It's like every time they say she's perfect, she ends up taking her shirt off in the background. She's perfect. Yeah, that's also another thing going on. She's un- constantly undressing in the background. Constantly undressing. Uh, it's just weird, but I mean, she's supposed to be, I guess you could say, the ultimate weapon versus evil. And I did kind of like what this movie did where I wouldn't say they made Lilu primitive, but the, like, the uh, language barrier I thought was a cool thing they did. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, I hope you guys didn't look up anything about that because it's part of the trivia. But yeah, they created like their whole language, uh, Mia Jovovich and Luke Basson, and I guess they ended up writing letters and talking to each other back and forth in that language. So that's kind of weird. Uh, that they got that far into it, but didn't they marry after this too? Yeah, they were married for a couple of years. Did they say their vows in the language? <laughs> wow, the divine language, one hundred percent. 
I'm sure it was the weirdest wedding of all time. (laughs) Yeah, I guess uh, after that, uh, Corbin Dallas is kind of pushed away. Uh, Ian Holm doesn't want him around That's Ian Holm's sole purpose in this movie is to push away Bruce Willis out of every frame. Yeah. Uh, So he kind of kicks him out of the door and Bruce Willis ends up back home. And Corey, you have a... A movie theory conspiracy, if you will, here about who Bruce Willis is talking to on the phone. <laughs> okay, so he has a friend named Finger, and they they chat here and there throughout the movie, and he kind of tells Finger how he met Lilu, and that you know he seems to be like head over hills because after all, she is perfect. Um, so I was just like doing very little bit of research, like I do before we do our episodes, and I saw in a few places that Vin Diesel voices Finger. Now, shortly after I said that to you guys in the thread, Josh refuted it. So maybe Josh has more to say on this. I saw someone online point out that it just didn't make sense for him at his career where he hadn't had anything yet to accept a role where he's uncredited. Whereas like, it makes more sense that it would be like a producer or like if it was going to be a cameo, it would be someone with something of an established career. Well, if you're a struggling actor and they say, hey, we'll pay you $1,000 for a day's work, wouldn't you do it? This doesn't seem like the kind of movie that would only spend $1,000. This seems, this budget on this movie is all out, right? They would get get somebody. This is a big budget movie. This is a $90 million movie, and it was made in France. So oui, oui. whether or not that has anything to do with a connection to Vin Diesel, I mean, I don't know how big he is in France and how much Luke Besson knows Vin <laughs> Diesel. Um, but Vin Diesel is known to be a nerd, so he'd probably be up for or down for a role like this. Further, I can guarantee you it's not Vin Diesel because nowhere in this movie script does he say five minutes. <laughs> 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 not going to count towards the stats. Decided on that <laughs> argument. Uh, what a burn. I'm up. <laughs> All right, I'm up. Yeah, yeah. Yes? Hey, dog, man, Finger here. Hello. Hi, sweetie. Oh, I love you too, Major. But you haven't called me that since basic training. Let's talk on a cat. Oh, yeah, I forgot. You still prefer your cat to the real thing. Yeah, uh, after that, um, it's just Ian Holmes still trying to figure out what Lilu's purpose is and how he can. I guess they've determined that. Uh, I don't know how, but. Lilu has somehow figured out that the four elemental stones that were taken in the beginning of the movie by the mighty ducks or whatever were are now in the hands of this like intergalactic diva singer diva. who is who is on uh like a cruise ship in what is called like Flauston Paradise or something Flauston Paradise Flauston Paradise <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of like a stretch for uh, plot wise, uh, just that these now ancient stones have ended up in this woman's hands. And that's kind of like the MacGuffin of the movie. Um, So we're off chasing that now. Um, Ian Holmes is like, we have to find any way possible to get there. And while he had just kicked um, Corbin Dallas out of his, uh, out of his apartment, 
As soon as Corbin Dallas gets back home, he finds out that he wins a <laughs> all expenses paid trip to Flost in Paradise. Okay, um, this is what uh, this is one of the things I really hate about this movie is that like it jumps through all these hoops to have like uh Corbin Dallas be kicked out of the group cuz he like kisses her while she's sleeping. And then like this really stupid plot with the military like announcing on apparently the biggest radio show in the universe the name of the person who's going to be recovering these stones like why not just have him stay with the group it would streamline things so much it's such a weird hoop to jump through there and go back i I don't know it bothers me too i mean this is stuff that you never pick up on when you watch it as a kid so like was totally fine with me uh but yeah ian holmes shows back up at the apartment and Corey. um you want to describe that scene as like everybody's kind of hiding in various spaces around <laughs> Bruce Willis's apartment? Yeah. So the military guys, they show up at Bruce Willis's place and they say, we rigged that contest so that you're going to get the tickets to Lost in Paradise and we need you on this mission, even though you're retired, but you're the best kind of thing. It's pretty typical at this point, but you know, it's 1997, so it's fine. But um, as he's talking to them, Lilu shows up, so he kind of like hides everyone in the fridge. He like <laughs> clears everything out of his fridge and he, like shoves the generals and the, the two other military people in his fridge. Major! It's a little funny. <laughs> I mean, they're frozen solid by the end of it. Yeah, he murdered them. But right? Lilu shows up, and um, the priest wants to steal his ticket so that they can get to Flostin, so that they can be the ones that save the world. A, a lot of the next bit of this movie is like. Basically, everyone trying to get on that, I want to say plane, but it's a spaceship, to Flossed in Paradise. Like, the the cops are going to come shortly, and then the uh, that, like, warrior race that are working for Zorg show up, too. Which we haven't talked about mm-hmm. him. I mean, maybe we should give a little bit of intro as to <laughs> his role and, like, how he ties in with these guys. I don't know what they're called exactly. I just call them warriors, because that's what the slang term is, I guess. Man, that's a lot of plot you just divvied out there, Corey. But <laughs> one, one thing earlier on that's like indicative of what this plot and this writing is kind of like is he like murders like three generals or something by putting them in a fridge and locking them in it. But later on in the movie, I'm pretty sure you just see one of them just back normally. Yeah. You see all of that's them. So- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they all come back. Yeah, I thought so they, they were, were like, dead for sure, though. They were <laughs> I thought they were dead, too. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what kind of movie it is. I mean, you can freeze and come back. I don't know. Mikey hit on it earlier. There's something about it just being fun to watch. Like, the choice to show those people frozen to death, even though you didn't want to kill them off, is just, like, pure fun. And Lilu drops down from the shower, obviously drenched. Of course. Uh, she needs to be dried off by Corbin <laughs> Dallas. And then I thought it was pretty funny that Ian Holm gets like saran wrapped in his in his bed. And then I loved uh, the pratfall of Bruce Willis getting knocked out. I don't know if you guys saw his <laughs> his his face when he gets knocked out, but he that was one of the funniest um, kind of falls I've seen in a long time. The music is super goofy there too. Like it is a couple times throughout the movie. It's just so weird, like a weird like little. Whoop boop boop musical score. <laughs> I was gonna ask yeah. that, Pap. You're the most like well traveled person in on this pod. That. Are the French horrible at comedy? Do they know what a sense of humor is? I don't know if the French are horrible at comedy. I thought it was indicative more at the end where like the fifth element is banging this chick. That seems very French to me. <laughs> but no, I don't 
I don't know about uh, being bad at comedy. I don't really know many funny French people, I guess. If that says anything. Wow. Yikes. No offense to the France. We're big in France. Uh, keep Indictment on the French comedy community by Pappy Malcolm. Search him on Letterboxd. No, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> French. I mean, Corey mentioned it before, but uh, Josh, do you remember Zorg and like kind of what he his plan is? He's also after these elemental stones. What, what are his intentions? His intentions are to have half of his head with the comb over black hair and half of his head with bald plastic. Yeah, uh, yeah. He do you wants know who he's played by? Do you remember? Gary Oldman, right? Yeah. And he, Gary Oldman, wants the stones so that he can, like, sell them, I guess. Like, he's a Judas Iscariot kind of guy. Like, he knows he's dooming everyone i kind of think but he just doesn't care because it's for his own personal gain and he's also like a big corporate guy so you got that classic kind of like capitalistic greed is bad sort of thing dr evil dealer he makes some sweet fucking guns though does he not oh my god yeah the this gun uh is pretty iconic amongst like sci-fi props it's called the zf1 and it's really pretty awesome and it's like a really cool working prop that like opens up and does a bunch of different stuff moves around um i think it looks pretty cool Corey, you want to describe it all the things it can do yeah it has all kinds of cool features it has something called a replay which i don't think i've seen in any other sci-fi movie not that are coming to mind anyway where you shoot in one spot and then you can have all your Next shots go to that exact same spot, even if the gun isn't even pointing in that direction, which is fucking dope. You haven't seen it in any other sci-fi because there's no point to it. It's just like fun to watch that the screenwriters made up. Seems really inconvenient, actually. It seems like you'd want your gun to shoot where you point it. Oh, come on, guys. We killed that guy. Let's kill him again 75 times. I'll sell you on it. It's got a net launcher. It can shoot poisonous arrows. It has a rocket launcher. It has a flamethrower. And it has the ice cube system. It has a fucking Mr. Freeze gun. That's my favorite. My favorite. Yeah. And it's a fucking bomb. In case someone double crosses you in a business deal, they'll just press it. Yeah. I don't know how effective the poison darts are when they go straight into your eyeballs, but <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty powerful gun. It only makes like one or two appearances in this movie, but yeah, it, it ends up being pretty iconic, like uh, movie wise, uh, for like a lot of sci-fi people. Um, it's a pretty big deal, I think. They don't take advantage of its features later on. Yeah, but I guess in like the heat of the moment, if someone's connect- coming at you, you just like shoot, like you're like. Uh... You don't, like, pick mm-hmm. the setting, you know? You just shoot. It also has an unlimited ammo. Yep. Never have to reload it. Uh, it's pretty much the perfect killing weapon. It's awesome. And Should have that in Fortnite. Yeah. We get a cool, not a cool scene, uh, a funny scene of uh, Gary Oldman in his office with uh, the priest, Ian Holmes, and he kind of chokes on a cherry here. Pap, what? What's going on in this scene? I okay, you thought it was funny. I didn't like this scene. I thought it was so weird. Like first of all, I don't know how um Gary Oldman Zorg is able to summon this priest to his office like mandatorily. He's like I mean, clearly he's a very powerful person, but 
he gets there and he gets this whole speech about how like actually destruction is uh creative and he kind of this like disruptive economic theory like when you break something then all these people have to come in and fix it and they're all employed and all these like drones droids are employed and then out of nowhere he like pours this drink and gets this cherry and chokes on it and again like the music and the whole tone of the scene completely shifts and he's like choking and it's like all silly as Ian Hum kind of like berates him then I, I don't know did you guys think it was funny I, I didn't laugh at all not one bit thank you <laughs> thank you what's the plot I guess purpose funny of is it not the right word is it basically that's why he allows Bilbo to survive because he helped him live otherwise he would have just killed this dude I think the plot purpose is to have a scene with Gary Oldman and Ian Holm in the same room, and that's pretty much it, right? I mean, there's nothing nothing even advances here. There's no point to it. Where are the stones? I don't know. And even if I did know, I wouldn't tell somebody like you. Why? What's wrong with me? I tried to save life. But you only seem to want to destroy it. Oh, Father... You're so wrong. Let me explain. Look, I, I was thinking about it after I watched it, and I was like, okay, that is pretty fucking stupid. But, like, what is it for? <laughs> and I think there is a there's a level of silliness to this movie. So I think it's to illustrate how, like, bumbling this guy is as well. Because we see him as this, like, cold killer. But he's also, like, he has his... Silly parts as well, you know? He's got a lisp. He's not the big bad of the movie. He's more or less a henchman. He doesn't have a lisp. His, like, teeth whistle when he talks. He's yeah, got, he's like... like he has an antebellum southern yeah. accent. <laughs> yeah, he's got, like, a metal leg. Got the stars and bars accent going. Ian Helm was about to let him choke. They remembered Gandalf told him, Who are we to decide who lives <laughs> or dies? <laughs> it's not for us to choose. Now take this empty glass. Here it is, peaceful, serene, boring. But if it is, destroyed. Look at all these little things. So busy now. Notice how this one is useful. What a lovely ballet ensues, so full of form and color. Now, think about all those people that created them. Technicians, engineers, hundreds of people who will be able to feed their children tonight so those children can grow up big and strong and have little teeny wing children of their own and so on and so forth. Thus, adding to the great chain of life. I don't know what else happens after this. Uh, Bruce Willis, uh, he is... He, oh well, I guess this is where we find out that he's won the contest. But he, I mean, this is just another example of like what this genre is supposed to look like. This, uh, he has this like fast food takeout Chinese place come right up to his window, and as it pulls away, it's basically just like a fishing, a fishing boat that can fly in the air, and it's just like so nail on the head of what the genre is. So I really like that scene. And it just shows that, like, Bruce Willis is having a really tough day because <laughs> he loses, loses his job and, like, immediately wins his contest right afterwards and stuff. So it's just uh, another, I don't know, just he's on this phone call with his mom and it's just nothing is going his way. I don't know. Like, being 
uh, fucking low life is just such a part of the genre, <laughs> and this whole scene just kind of exemplifies that. And don't we see this most famously in Blade Runner and like with Neo and the Matrix too? Like, it's just the trope of a guy living in the future who's smart and talented, but in a tiny apartment, life is just shitting on him. He has a crappy place, and I was thinking about this too because it's almost like Star Wars with Luke, except Luke is more like a child still in the care whereas these movies are a little more like edgy so they feature like an adult single male like in his crappy bachelor pad instead i just thought Mm. that was kind of interesting yeah and so after that uh we get to what uh, the boarding boarding up for the spaceship to get to the uh the concert on flauston paradise there's kind of a lot happening in this like one scene um a lot of people pretend to be corbin dallas to try to uh get onto the spaceship with lilu uh because they're trying to get access to diva who's got the stones if you remember we kind of just forget about the main plot device for a lot of this movie um we don't talk about the stones too much i don't feel like but that's what we're after and diva has them and i guess winning this contest grants them access to her somehow so uh we get the priest accomplice who pretends to be corbin dallas he gets kicked out of the line when the real corbin shows up um and then zorg's right hand man uh shows up and pretends to be corbin dallas and josh he gets uh he get his his time in the movie gets cut short here. What happens to him? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> he gets blowed up. <laughs> yeah, he gets blowed. I guess he has something in his phone or in his body, but Zorg blows him up at the ticket stand. And then I, I just uh, remember after- that scene being like such a cluster, Mikey. I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't remember that specific detail, but like three different people impersonating him at a booth and like, it's this contest and you're distracted because all the attendants are like really hot women. The set details just like going crazy. Why is there trash in the background? Trash all over the place. It's really hard to follow. Honestly, we're introduced to Ruby rod around this time. And that's also another distraction for the mix. He's like super flamboyant. He's like this future, like radio star. Like he just has like a mic on him at all times. So, He's pretty much just... He's constantly podcasting. (laughs) He's constantly podcasting, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, And I guess he's like... He's like Bruce Willis's tour guide, or he's just constantly with uh, Bruce Willis for this entire duration of the trip. Um, So that would be pretty annoying, and I... As soon as he, like... They wake up, or whatever, as soon as they land, they, like go on a hyperbaric sleep or something until they get there. But they wake up and Ruby road is right in Corbin's face the whole time. And he's really annoying, but it's also, I feel like it's pretty comedic now that I understand what he's saying. But, uh, Pat, did you find this comedic at all? Did you find Chris Tucker's character funny? I heard that it was supposed to be Prince in this role and prince was all in until he saw the costume design and prince of all people said it was too effeminate (laughs) which is a weird twist to this whole 
saga. What? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I thought the first time I watched it, I found Chris Tucker's performance very annoying and distracting. The second time I watched it, I, I was knew more what kind of movie I was in for, and I thought it was almost so ridiculous it was funny. Uh, I don't know, Stevie. What, what did you think about Chris Tucker? Chris Tucker, are you a fan? Yeah, I thought it was hilarious. Uh, especially just how chaotic his scenes were and how his uh dialogue was non-stop. Yeah, I thought he was. It's, I mean, if there was an actor who could pull it off, it was probably going to be Chris Tucker. For some odd reason, I can't see Prince being as loud and kind of flamboyant as Chris Tucker was. So yeah, I thought he was hilarious. I listened to some other pods that gave him some major crap, and I don't think he is necessarily the fan favorite here in this movie, but you have to give him credit for like committing to this role, yeah. right, Pat? Mm-hmm. His energy is just up there the entire time. Yeah, like I said, I mean, there's a couple like reference-based jokes that annoy me, but that's not his fault. Like I said, like I don't know why he's referencing Lionel Richie 300 years from now, but... <laughs> <laughs> but i really timeless. But I, it timeless is a timeless classic. song yeah apologies to the richie family but i i do think that i, I don't know I, <laughs> sorry nicole like i said once you kind of know like what he's supposed to be like i i was kind of in for the ride and yeah i like chris tucker i, I love him in friday i love him in this i i thought his energy level throughout the movie especially being opposite bruce willis and then it's even played up for like jokes a couple times like how like up he is and how like down Bruce Willis's, but I thought that would be pretty hard to do as an actor. It's really commendable. Yeah, there. I feel like there's like even some funny physical comedy happening here because there's a transition where he's like coming out of a spin right in front of Bruce Willis, and his floppy haircut is like <laughs> waving right in front of Bruce Willis's face, and it's just like a really funny visual. I mean, he's like coming out of a spin to become face to face with Bruce Willis, and this thing is flopping around on his head. And he's his voice is just so goofy. I I don't know. Like he's being effeminate, but he's also Chris Tucker at the same time. So he's got his hilarious voice going for him. But yeah, this character. I mean, I don't know when I saw this first, but like it was just so confusing as to what he was saying at the time. And I was like, man, this guy is just more loud and annoying than I can comprehend. <laughs> Uh, what he's actually saying <laughs> in this movie. Freeze those knees, my trees. The pubs in the place and he's on a kick. Yesterday's frog will be tomorrow's friend. A frostbound paradise. A hotel of a thousand and one follies, lollies, and nigga follies. A magic fountain flow of non-stop blind women and wicked wicked All night long. But yeah, I mean, now the movie is like really picking up towards the end. Um, after that, I mean, it's more of just like everybody getting to their positions before like the final act of the movie. And uh, we end up seeing this diva character who's uh, like the the entity or whatever, the space alien that's like holding these elements these four elements now for some reason so this is star wars universe right Corey? and this just happens to be when they execute order 66 (laughs) when she's on stage (laughs) yeah somewhere somewhere in the stands palpatine is telling the tragedy of darth plagueis the wise (laughs) to anakin do it uh yeah what I mean, what are those aliens called? Just the warrior aliens that uh, end up shooting, like, everybody in this theater. And then we get a 
Chris Tucker and, or Ruby Road and Corbin Dallas uh, trapped in the front row with this diva singer. And she gives an ominous clue as to where the elements are. And she says, they're inside me. Before <laughs> Call she my gynecologist. We're, we, we, we went past it pretty quick. But the song that she does during the action scene of uh, the fifth element, Lilu, like fighting the Warriors guys hand to hand is pretty fucking iconic and epic and i mean that that song is like um i don't know it's it it's one of the more memorable opera songs from any movie and it, it's really cool like they had to <laughs> so it's one know, of the most be... memorable opera songs sung by a blue alien in recent memory oh, for sure yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the top three at least <laughs> the twi'lek lady but i don't know that that scene is just fucking amazing i love it like even I don't know, every now and then, like, I'll watch that scene or, like, people doing covers of that song, which are pretty cool. But, yeah, I really love that part. Wow, you're, like, deep into this movie, Corey. I've never... (laughs) I've never known people were covering that song. Yeah, some people do pretty good. Yeah, uh, because I I went through the trivia and I saw that, like, the the woman they got to sing that song was like, this is impossible. Yeah. I saw that as well. Yeah, they had to do it special for the movie. Like, some of the notes are definitely impossible, and you can tell when it's, like, synthesized. Mm-hmm. But uh, people make up for it as best they can in, in real life, and a lot of it <laughs> comes out pretty good. I love that there's YouTubers out there with entire careers based on covering blue aliens in film or something like that. It's a big genre, Josh. It is. <laughs> it was like a Britain's Got Talent or something where someone did it, too. Like, some kid. I do have a bone to gripe though, because like when the beat drops, the warriors or whatever are looking for the box, and we criticized uh, Rise of the Skywalker for this on this episode. They do the same thing twice, where there's an empty box being delivered, like again. You know what I mean? I guess. Yeah. They go back to the same well twice. Both movies made purely for fun. Not much thought put into them. That's Fine. true. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Corey. Uh, but yeah, the MacGuffin is inside you the whole time is what uh, the diva says to Dallas Corbin. And uh, his first instinct is to just go digging inside her abdomen to pull these elements out. <laughs> uh, that's what he gets from the clue that she gives him. And he's right. Uh, he yanks out these four elements. He stuffs them in like a tuxedo coat. And then, um, uh, yeah, there's that just is like... his first instinct. You're right. He's not like, did you like swallow them or... Like, like, <laughs> we poop them out in a little like, bit, or, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're like in a bag upstairs, or no, or but yeah, he digs around inside of her and pulls them out, and then uh, it's pretty much just a shootout until we get to like uh, the end of, end of the movie here. But um, Josh, do you remember the shootout? Do you uh, know how like uh, Corbin Dallas gets from point A to point B to uh, the temple here? Well, first, the first shootout comes with that gun. What is it? The EF-1 or something like that? The ZF-1. ZF-1, sorry. Zorg has it, and he's just, like, chasing after her in the vents. And I believe she actually gets, like, shot, right? Uh, Mila, yeah. our perfect redhead? Yeah. Orange head? Yes. And then, basically, Bruce Willis grabs a gun, starts going on a rampage. At one point, he's, like tucked in behind a bar kind of Shaun of the dead style slash young guns slash Mandalorian style. They got like a huge, 
huge like gun just blasting stuff at him and chris tucker in the meantime in his high-pitched frantic voice is still podcasting <laughs> the whole event <laughs> happening um <laughs> And this is also the direct line for the president. The president is like getting all of his information from this like live stream that Chris Tucker is screaming on. And him and his generals are like, that's the command line or whatever is, <laughs> is just Chris Tucker screaming. But also Bruce Willis has this moment where he like puts his hands up and turns around and it looks almost exactly like Die Hard. Like he's about to grab a gun that's taped to the back of his shirt. But instead, he, like, I don't know, jumps down, and Chris Tucker grabs a dude's head, and the machine gun starts blasting a... I don't know. <laughs> I like when he's telling the, the deaf guy, he's like, give me the gun. Give me the gun. Ray? And the guy's, like, across the room, and he just slides <laughs> over, like, a, a pool ball. Like, thank you, Ray. I laughed out loud, and it's very reminiscent of, like, the movie Black Sheep, when Chris Tucker's a floor ahead, and he shoots out like a hole around him using bullets and Chris Tucker falls and you just hear like the music and sound drops and you just hear Chris Tucker yell. It's like the most high pitched scream. It is funny. I like laughed at that too, dude. Like it stops and he just gives this high pitched girl scream. <laughs> it's good timing overall. Yeah, so they kind of like blast their way out of that, and then they end up stealing uh, Zorg's ship. Um, he's he makes a lot of boneheaded moves here at the end. He never checks this box like multiple times, like Pap said, and it <laughs> ends up being empty again. So he goes back to the ship that he just planted this bomb on, and by the time he gets there, the time's already running low, and his ship is getting stolen by Bruce Willis and Mia Jovovich right now. And, I mean, he kind of just does everything wrong. He ends up stop, stopping the bomb, but as soon as he does that, uh, this alien warrior uh, box kind of, like, opens up and ends up blowing up the whole ship instead. So, he's gone now. He's dead. He's out of the picture. What's up with that box? Why didn't they just use, like, one of the aliens pressing that red button on the gun? That would have been really funny right there. <laughs> What's this do? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it is uh, an alien does press a button, but it's like he's like more like Predator. He has it on his wrist or something, and then he activates it. Mm, yeah. Um, and then after that, uh, it's you. Uh, the pacing is weird here because they kind of like assume that they've saved the world, even though this giant dark planet thing is evil planet thing is like still hanging out in space and everybody's celebrating. Um, but there's not really any reason to, and Stevie, they got to get back to Egypt to activate this fifth element to save, I guess the universe or at least earth. It's this movie is a lot. (laughs) It really is. I mean, the plot is so secondary to just like, hey, we're going to try and hit as many cyberpunk uh, kind of like Also hit as many genres as possible, too. It's odd. Like, to jump from, I mean, saving everybody in a cruise ship to saving the entire Earth is just just strange. 
they just like end up getting information like, oh, this thing is now moving towards Earth. So you guys got to hurry up and get back to Egypt. And yeah, it almost felt like thing. a separate movie. Like it, it was just strange the way like they transitioned to it. But yeah, uh, <laughs> oh, this movie's a lot. So we get to Egypt. And uh, Mila Jovovich, the perfect one, is just dying at this point. Um, and they get the bricks on there. Bilbo has no idea what to do. Uh, his, I imagine his adopted son has no idea what to do either. <laughs> and that's when they start figuring out, figuring out you have to use the elements. And I'm not going to lie. I, I had a little suspense going when Bruce Willis lit that match for the fire one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Part of me was really hoping it was going to blow out and the earth just blew up. Part of me was really hoping they took that route. Were you suspenseful when Ian Holm was wringing his sweat out to do the water <laughs> on? Oh my gosh, dude. We all audibly said gross watching that part. The final element, salt. It is really weird. All of them have to do like a preschool, like hands-on activity to like put the stones in, basically. It's pretty funny. Yeah, and these elements are fire, earth, wind, and what else? Water. Heart. Heart. Art? What? what? Heart? Heart. Oh. Come on, that's a good joke. Captain yeah. Planet. Captain Jesus. Planet. Hey, <laughs> Josh, we're showing our age. Ageless. Yeah. So they end up like getting through that trial of unlocking the stones. And uh, I guess the one final uh, key to this whole thing is Lilu, but she's like dying now. And for some reason, she's just being really unreasonable with <laughs> with Bruce Willis's character. Uh, he just needs her to like. Yeah. She's really got to stick up her ass at this point. She's like, why should I save you, motherfuckers? Fuck she y'all. watches. She watches one YouTube video of World War Two, and she's like, I don't need to save you guys. It's, this like, is it's, a, it's a test yeah. nuke that was being filmed. Yeah. Chill the fuck out. It literally, apparently, hasn't been war in the three hundred years since the twentieth century. We're good. <laughs> the last war was back here, where all the footage was for this movie. Yeah. So. I feel like in this universe, uh, she should give us some credit because we haven't had war for so long. But yeah, she's really kind of just not. She doesn't want to play ball here um, until Corbin says that he needs her for some reason. I guess this is somehow a way to activate her. It turns out she's like a, a giant gun or something. She just <laughs> ends up blowing no up. No one knows what's planet. going on at this point. Isn't that kind of the yeah. same thing as the Watchmen with uh, Dr. Manhattan? He goes through a stage where he's like, I could save humanity, but what is that to save? And then finally you have to realize it's love. And then white beam or whatever power you want can come from your chest and you can save the day. Yeah, that's a good way to convince or to condense 20 20- at pages of Alan Moore. <laughs> it's, like, it's love. I literally looked. She has that existential crisis when there's 13 minutes of movie left, like counting credits. So maybe like 10 minutes of screen time. It's set up so late in the movie. Yeah. And we also have like, there's no breadcrumbs leading up to that point of like, that's like the final piece of the puzzle. Is that, I don't know. I guess Diva does say something that she's going to need your love, but it's like, 
did we need to know that? Or like, was that always the intention of Lilu? Is it just fall in love on earth after, after she gets here? Like that was how you activate the gun. I mean, that's kind of like a risky move. Uh, the only reason he loved her is because her body was perfect. That's what I'm saying. That's what the protagonist yeah. has to do in this movie is fall in love with a woman with a perfect body. <laughs> like, oh, that's, <laughs> what a journey you've been on. Odysseus. Wow. Hey, he's getting over a divorce. Yeah, he's getting over a divorce, man. Let him have this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Someone's jelly. <laughs> Maybe. Uh what else is after that? The the planet, the evil planet blows up. Uh, we never really understand its intent other than to like destroy everything. And uh, well, it basically stops right near Earth and becomes like a second moon. Oh yeah, it doesn't blow up. So like in five thousand years, when that fucker comes back, it's like <laughs> going to be there, like doom, like instantly. Like there's not going to be no, you know, traveling through space or, for five days. Or that's how the first moon was created, Corey. That's what I was thinking too. That's Ooh. Holy fuck. Don't worry about how that affects like geographical issues and like yeah. gravity on Earth and all that stuff. But thousands yeah. of people in low lying coast areas are dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in this universe, uh we go by uh the Earth was created when Jesus was born, so there's only one moon and not like fifty <laughs> thousand surrounding the Earth at this time. Um, but yeah, uh, that's, I mean, what else is after that, Corey? Do you remember? Is there anything of importance after that? Oh, yeah, there's, there's a very important scene, but I think someone <laughs> else wants to talk about it. Yeah, Josh, why don't you take it away? Why don't you describe this very last scene in the tube? In, in the tube, uh, Bruce Willie finally gets his tube <laughs> close to the perfect woman. Um, they're he in like, his Willie. they're basically in a car bay chamber just like lucas and empire like healing but they're fucking in there they sure are that's it <laughs> <laughs> do we end on a sex scene is how fifth element uh ends but it ends on a sex scene and maybe the worst song i've ever heard oh my god <laughs> absolutely terrible song choice here Honestly, the music is all over the place in this movie. Yeah, not every movie can be Garden State. Oh, God. (laughs) I don't know. Do you guys have anything to say about the music? I thought there were some pretty interesting choices here. Well, I love the diva song. Yeah, I like the diva song. I like when it plays the Indian music during the car chase or like some Middle Eastern type music. (laughs) My my wife identified it as Arabic music. Okay. Yeah, I heard that it was Egyptian music. Either way, sounded cool. Well, the thing about all of these songs is like they're blending a lot of genres, like this movie is. And I think the idea is like at this point in time in this universe, like all of these cities would be massive or like super metropolises, and there'd be like so many cultures and stuff intermixed that it wouldn't really be countries anymore. I guess that's also like a thing of cyberpunk is like. You just get all of these things mixing around together, so genres are blending and stuff, and hmm. cultures are blending and stuff. So I thought that was like pretty spot on nail on the head for this movie. Was like how how fitting the music kind of fit in, in this movie. I thought they did a good job with that. But you guys got anything last? Any last things you want to say about this movie before we give yes or no's? 
Steve, you mentioned the genres earlier. What genres were you seeing? Because I just kind of thought sci-fi fantasy the whole time. But I'm sure there's more. Well, I mean... It's just strange, because you go through stretch where it's buddy comedy. Then you go through stretches of solo man save the earth. Then you go through stretches of, like... um, I guess you could say, like... How would I describe this? Um, kind of like the end where, out of nowhere, um, the fifth element, uh, Lilo and Bruce Willis has fall in love. For some odd reason, it's really strange to me. Kind of like they were supposed to be falling in love all along, like it was just hacked on. Um, yeah, it's just, I feel like they were trying to do a lot of different things in this movie. It works, though, because I have no idea what this movie's about, and I still enjoyed it. yeah i mean plus there after this movie was like released it was uh luke basana got like sued uh by a couple of famous comic book artists this guy named jean gerard jean gerard uh and another guy named like jadarowski and they're pretty famous they're like uh, comic book artists from like the 70s and 80s and they they really like did a lot of like the design work for like the cyberpunk genre and really how like Star Wars looks um, I know George Lucas took a lot of inspiration from them but yeah they believe that like this ripped off a lot of a book called The Incal that they kind of like drew and wrote together and they ended up not winning but um I guess like the judge did acknowledge it like yeah they are borrowing stuff but it's not enough to to warrant you guys winning this case so I read that that I read that oh, go ahead Corey oh, I was gonna say that Luke Basson apparently claims to have written this when he was in high school but it, it sounds like the timeline of that would kind of line up with whatever he read their work so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like the ankle would be a pretty big thing around the time Luke Besson was probably in high school yeah I also read that the ankle contains a plot point called the fifth essence so uh, it's really really distant from his the fifth element <laughs> right that's a different word essence, oh. it's a different E word yeah exactly it's a French. <laughs> uh, but yeah uh, I I know those two guys and I know that they're pretty famous artists and I like their stuff. And when you are looking at that stuff, uh, they're like nailing the look of this movie with um, the production design. And really star Wars has a lot to, has borrowed a lot from those two as well. So it's cool to see it like portrayed so well on screen, but you want to go yes or no? I'm ready for yes now. All right, we'll go East to East again, Corey. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give this a yes. I, I told you guys this earlier, but I watched this movie a ton as a kid. Uh, I liked it a lot then, and I like it a lot now. Like we said, there is kind of a lot going on. I, I didn't realize how tricky this would be to fit in a, you know, 60 to 90 minute podcast. Because <laughs> it shows you a lot of stuff that gives you an idea of what's going on. You get to see a lot, which I'm a big fan of. Um, it tells us a lot about the world by what we see and the way people act within the world. Uh, but to speak on what I like, uh, I think the casting's great. I think the costumes are great. Simple but cheesy 90s story, which is awesome. I don't know. It's just a lot of fun for me. It's got that sweet fucking opera scene that I love. 
It's a yes, hard yes. Cool. Pap? Yeah, uh, I find it weird that Debo and uh, Smokey are in this movie from Friday, <laughs> as well as Ian Holmes in two movies where there's a character named Dallas, uh, this an alien. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of like frustrating plot points of this movie, and I, and I don't know if I was in the right frame of mind for like the first 20 minutes of when I was watching it. But definitely on my rewatch, I, like, I guess got really into it. I love the way that it looks. I'm not a big fan of Luke Besson. I, I think that like uh, The Professional is like one of the most overrated movies of all time. I hated Valerian. But like this one just kind of works as like a crazy fun ride that's, that works as a standalone sci-fi story. Like I don't know like how many times in my lifetime I'm going to be able to watch movies that are like this extreme and not explicitly based on like a source material like with with this kind of budget and this kind of story and these kind of visuals and these kind of costumes like Corey mentioned so it's definitely a hard yes for me this is the kind of movie that i like but i'm not surprised that it's very divisive i'll put it that way all right pap or sorry stevie um yeah i will give this movie a solid yes uh, as i said earlier I think this movie just has way too much going on. I think it has clunky editing. Um, I think a lot of it has no idea what it wants to be. But at the same time, I couldn't look away. I was just anxiously awaiting like every next scene, wondering what was going to happen. And there's some really funny moments for some cool parts. I, like everybody else said, I love the Blue Opera Singer. Uh, I thought the scenes mixed with that were really cool. But just... Um, this movie is scatterbrained and all over the place. I feel like a lot of drugs were being done during the making of this movie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, hard, uh, a hard solid yes. I enjoyed it. Cool. Josh? I, much like the Mandalorian, think this is kind of a grimy retelling of Star Wars from that initial um, A New Hope stuff we got from George Lucas and it's just so fun, like everyone said. Um, I think just being on this podcast has realized that you can embrace things that are just fun to watch. That's something that Stevie says a lot, or that's something that Stevie says a lot, that something is just fun to watch or fun to see on screen. And I think that's something that I've never really embraced before, but a movie like this is like a perfect exemplary of it. Like there's a scene where... I don't know. It's something about like the hand and they're going to take the cells from it. And the scientist is talking to the general and they don't really care about either of these two characters. Plus they go into like a room that's like black lit. <laughs> so you just see the whites of their eyes. Yeah. And it's like, there's just so many bizarre fun choices that you never know what's going to happen next on screen. It's just fun to watch. <laughs> so it's this huge yes for me. And, um, Thanks for bringing this back into the foray, Mikey. Appreciate it. No problem. And yeah, I never really made the comic book connection until like I had read the Wikipedia. But in my, I, I'm gonna give it a yes. But in after reading that, I was like, wow, this movie is like really edited weird. Or I mean, like it just kind of goes from scene to scene. And in my head, I'm just justifying it as like. This is so clearly taking inspiration from those 
those move those uh, comics that Lupusan is denying that he took inspiration from. It's just like you got to imagine that all of these scenes are just kind of like comic book panels going from one to one, just showing different slices of life as quickly as possible in this universe or something. And then almost like so secondary is like the four elements. And it's more of just like, I don't know. I mean, we see so much of just like how this universe operates from getting on the spaceship and like all the different weird stuff that they do, like the hyperbaric sleeping and, I don't know. It seems like most of this is just like exposition to, to like describe the world in, in a unique way, just because there's so much there to like unpack. But like this yeah, movie the, doesn't put a scroll of text in front of you ever. It'll yeah. just like put a weird alien in front of you and like blow its head <laughs> off or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this is part of the universe. Just accept it. And here's how like fast food works in this universe. You <laughs> fly up to this billboard with a giant McDonald's sign and a supermodel. I would you. say that this movie is more of an energy than it is a story. And for that, I really appreciate that. It's yeah. a mood. <laughs> it's a whole vibe. Uh, yeah, I give it. A, I give it a yes. I think the production design is really cool. Um, and I like the inspiration behind it, but the story is obviously lacking, but I mean, we didn't even talk about like how crazy the cast is. There's a lot of people in this movie and a lot of like, you don't know this when you're a kid watching it 10, 15 years ago, but Gary Oldman, he's a big deal. Ian Holmes, he's a big deal. Bruce Willis, pretty massive star at the time. (laughs) Yeah. Potentially. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it's just crazy to see that this this is definitely a foreign movie that got so many awesome actors to participate in it. And I mean, it was a pretty big budget. Would you say it made a good amount of money back? It made almost 300 million back on 90 million. Would you say that's not a flop? I would say not a flop. I think that would be classified as a success. It's, it's super successful for something that didn't spawn a franchise or a sequel or anything like that. That's freaking crazy. And it, I guess it did pretty bad in the U.S. too. So, I mean, most of that is worldwide gross, I think. So, it's definitely an interesting movie. And that was uh, five yeses, I believe. So, that was five. That was the fifth element fresh of uh, movie reviews there. So, I guess we'll just take a break now and come back and do trivia. Or should we do trivia now? Trivia, then break, if you're ready. All right. I'm ready for trivia. And I have the order here. And the game is just going to be closest to, and I have the order, and it's Stevie with source code, Corey from It's Pat, Josh, Lord of the Rings, Animated, and Pappy Serenity. Pappy Schneid. Pappy Schneid. Brett hasn't hosted in a long time, but he's not here. This movie was too (laughs) scary. But he'll be back soon. <laughs> yeah. Miss you, Brett. Uh, so, yeah, this is more of like an IMDb trivia question. Uh, the divine language, as it is known in this movie, is spoken by Lilu and invented by co-writer and director Luke Busan and Mia Jovovich. Approximately how many words of this fake language did they make up <laughs> and use in their like everyday use while making this movie? Stevie, you're first. 
Closest to. Can you pick a different question? Because I know the answer to. Oh, you do. I know the answer to. Same. Four hundred. Uh, yep. I wasn't gonna I was say, gonna say around four hundred. I have to respect <laughs> I was just trivia. Take it yeah. in. <laughs> I was also going to guess four hundred. There's never a rule that we can't guess the same number. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if we want to do closest to, Stevie's got to go last, right? For best advantage. We could toss to Spoiler Man real quick, Mikey, if you need to come up with a new question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that'd, that'd be fine. Give him some time. I, <laughs> Spoiler, I can come up Spoiler Man. <laughs> Spoiler Man here. Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is Podcast Spoilers. It's lit. Josh Hensley from the Rutabaga wrote our theme song. And we're back. Uh, yeah, so I looked on Wikipedia. I hope you guys didn't count any of this up, but uh, <laughs> the movie was nominated for 28 different awards in 97 and 98, ranging from like the Academy Awards all the way to Stinker's Bad Movie Awards in 1997. Wow. Um, how many of those Stinker's Bad Movie noms do they have? And since Stevie, I guess, does have the advantage, he'll go last. Josh, is that what you're saying? Yeah, Stevie I think was the, the pers- most recent host. So do I go last or oh, first? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. If Pappy's on the schneid, he should go last. My mistake. Razzies or stinkers in bad? What'd you call it? Stinkers bad movie awards. Stinkers. <laughs> how many How many noms did it get in 1997? Ten. All right, let me write it down. So it got 28 overall. And how many of the those were bad? Stinkers bad stinkers. movie awards noms. <laughs> Josh, do I, do I have to explain it again? We're the Stinkers Awards are very prestigious. familiar with the Stinkies that come the once a year. I have no idea what that is. But Why don't we whatever. have our own award show, the Spoilers Stinkers? The spoilers. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say eight. I'm going to say four. Three. All right. And the number of Stinker's Bad Movie Award noms in 1997 for the fifth element is five. Oh. Your winner is Josh. Oh. Out of all those Wait, who's the winner? Had, you, Josh. Garden Stink. Garden Are we going to break to Spoiler Man again? No. So Josh can choose well, his movie or does nah. he know? I don't need it. I got it. It's not Garden State. And this director, one of the movies he directed came up earlier. Idiocracy. Corey, you brought it up. I was so happy you brought it up because I saw a lot of that in this movie. But I want to go back all the way to the 90s and do Office Space. It's been so long. It used to be a movie like everyone knew and quoted. And I feel like that's like floundered in recent years so let's get this movie back on the map i guarantee not for those of us that work in an office i assure you i guarantee you in in the next week or two we're gonna see a bunch of like shitty movie details on reddit go to the top a bunch of like tidbits about that just like in popular culture because of the spoilers effect but i want to (laughs) do office space cool office space haven't seen that in a while but i'm excited to watch it 
Um, yeah, so that was the fifth element. Uh, we hope, uh, I, I hope we did it justice. I know there's a lot to get through there and it's not all coherent all the time, but <laughs> that's a classic movie from my childhood that I hadn't seen in a while. And I was pretty worried about how it would hold up, but I'm glad you guys enjoyed it so much. And I hope, uh, the audience enjoyed this podcast as well. So tune in next week as we, as Josh does office space, I get to take a break this week. From Josh's office space. So I'm looking forward to that. <clears throat> Do you need some time? I'll go make some tea. I wake, just ran out. So wake I can... up, Aziz. <clears throat> go make some tea, Mikey. We got time. All right. Brett's not, Brett's not here. Got eight forty-five. All right, I'm back. Oh, Mikey, Mikey just left. No, He's gonna be gone for seven minutes. Did he really say seven? How long what did happened? It take to make tea, Pap. He says gonna, tea. He's the host. He needs a <laughs> wet throat. <laughs> it's worth it. That's a great call. Do you guys like it when I press this? I don't dislike it. What? <laughs> Do you have any more? I, it does it randomly, and they're all so terrible and long. I it's feel like really this is hard. The soundboard's one back. The soundboard's one back. Whoa, watch your step. You just walked into some bullshit. <laughs> Dude, that is like the It's Always Sunny episode where they like do the radio thing. Yeah, and they yeah. Have like this stupid soundboard. <laughs> so stupid. I hate that guy who recorded that. It's probably Spoiler Man. <laughs> it's very Did it for five bucks. Spoiler Man is more successful than spoilers. That's 100% true. He 100%. made money. That's, he has like, th- I think, thousands of reviews on Fiverr. So, are really? still deep, deep in the red. At a minimum five dollars, <laughs> but I think it's like usually more like closer to ten each time. And that's Pat, the people give What do you think spoilers as a collective is in the hole right now? In the hole as a collective, I would say probably around a thousand dollars, maybe more than that. Maybe a little Gotta bit more. more. Well, we paid like the times we've advertised. Like, what was the ad with the what the station, Josh? TV forty eight. Did you actually pay that? Yeah. Did they like come to you and ask you for that like a year later? At like Christmas or something. They emailed that me. That was crazy. I was fine to pay them. They never like, charged me or anything. How much was it? Like 150 or 200 bucks? Like 150, I think. Which was worth it. I think we got a big bump in plays around that time. <clears throat> and plus like paying for movies, like going to the movies. <laughs> yeah. I'd say probably around. I'd say it's oh, a collect yeah. probably around five grand in the hole. Probably <laughs> microphones. Patty, you remember the time that you signed up for the, like the real mischievous marketing? Which marketing? <laughs> oh yeah, the fiber people. We will get you to the top of the iPod <laughs> playlist hey. in one day, and we're like, we're at the top. Those numbers worked. <laughs> Dude, it shows you how much of a fraud those charts are, though. But I think it's just being like being on the charts, even for a, like 10 minutes, 
do you that's probably how, get plays. You know what I mean? That's how skip to the, that's how skip to the end uh, went out of business. Skip to the end was just the worst people ever. They went out of business doing that all the time. Just lying. Just lying. Lost all their money doing it. Mikey, you ready? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Three, two, one, go. That was spoilers.